this upcoming mountain in the life of the disciples was going to be the crucifixion of the one that they really believed was going to usher in the kingdom right then and get rid of this Roman Empire and uh, liberate them and bring back the old the old ways. But uh, there's a mountain coming in their life and they're going to all scatter and they're going to run away and they're not going to respond correctly. But we'll see, we saw last week that these mountains, though, they have purpose. God brings mountains in our life because uh, with purpose and they're always in purpose god does nothing haphazardly god does nothing that just uh surprises him god has nothing that ever comes up that shocks him the so we have to conclude that god is aware of everything that comes into our life and uh he can take everything and have a purpose out of it. Remember what Joseph said what he, to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to save much people alive. Boy, isn't that, that's a rest. That's a comfort when things come into our life that we don't understand. And we saw last week when you focus on the mountain, sometimes you'll miss the miracle right? God is trying to do something. God is trying to work something out. And when we're just focused on this, this mountain of a problem, right? We're just like, oh, I can't believe it. Why does this happen to me? It always happens to me. Never happens to them. Look at their life. It always, you know, we're, we're, we'll miss what God is trying to do in our life. We'll miss God's purpose, uh, for the mountain. And, uh, we can miss all of what God is doing. And we saw last week and we came to this conclusion of this. When the mountains come into your life, don't ask why. Don't ask why. Maybe, maybe you could ask God this. What's your purpose in this? And if he never even shows you his purpose, what do we saw in Sunday school this morning? Just trust him anyway. Just trust him anyway and go on. And, 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 and we did notice this. When you begin to realize that mountains have purposes in your life, the mountain really ceases to become a mountain. That, 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 that massive look of this problem kind of goes away because all of a sudden you're looking at it differently. This isn't mind over matter. This isn't, I mean, listen, we're not, we're not, uh, this is just a truth and it's an actuality. When you see the problem in your life as a purpose of God, it, ceased to be, it ceases to be a mountain. And I wrote this, it becomes a hammer in the refining work of God. It becomes a tool that God's using in our life. So that was the end of chapter 17. Here we are in chapter 18. And now Jesus is moving on to another lesson. But the lesson tonight, and, and, and really you will see it here later on, I'll bring this in, has a connection. It has a connection to his training about mountains last week. There's a connection here. So Jesus' lesson tonight is going to help them to be victorious, and it's going to help them not only uh, to... Uh, to live a way that God wants them to live, but it's going to help them to be victorious when the mountains come into their life. So let's look at verse 1, if we would. And I want you to notice first a kingdom structure. It says here, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, Jesus did not say, Well, I mean, I don't... There's... There's no such thing as a kingdom of heaven. There's no such thing as a kingdom of God. He didn't say that. Obviously, we're going to look at this a little bit later of what is going to be said. But it is a factor that Jesus 
has a kingdom. In the Bible, it's called the kingdom of heaven. It's also called the kingdom of God. It's of my uh, persuasion that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are one and the same thing. They, if you look at the context, it's always the same events. It's the same context. I, I, I know some people look at one as future and one as present. And if you, I, I don't see that in the context at all. They're one and the same thing. But Jesus, here's the fact, Jesus has a kingdom and the kingdom is in every believer. You say the kingdom's in every believer? Yes, it's in every believer. Luke 17, 20 and 21, Jesus was asked, it said, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, right? Neither shall they say, lo, here it is, or lo, for over there. He says, goes on to say, for behold, the kingdom of God, this is Jesus' words, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. So this is present tense, which obviously shows you, again, the kingdom doesn't have a, a future tense and a present tense. It's future. It's present right now. It's not something that's going to come. It's something that has come. And if there's another uh, thing that's good for us to be aware of that uh, is, is a doctrinal thing that will help you understand uh, some things, but um, w which is the difference between the kingdom and the church. The kingdom and the church are two different things. They have two different purposes. The church, let me, let me show you a difference here, some differences here. <clears throat> the church is always local and visible. Three metaphors of a church, right? A body, a building, and a bride. They're always visible. They're always local, right? A kingdom is invisible and universal. You don't see the kingdom. It's within us. It's universal. We'll, we'll look at that here a little bit later. So there's a difference between the kingdom and the church. The church has pastors and deacons. The kingdom has one king, and it's Jesus. Yep. The difference between the kingdom and the church. The church is entered by, sal by salvation, and then it's, you, you're saved, obviously. It's believer's baptism, but baptism adds you to the body. We can, we can uh, wrangle over 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you want to, that by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. I'm going to put it out there right now. There's no such thing as spirit baptism. Nope. We're baptized with the spirit, not by the spirit. The Holy Spirit of God baptizes nobody. Jesus baptizes with the Spirit, but that is a whole other thing. But the church is entered, you are saved, and how do you get placed into the body? You are baptized into the body. And we could go on to that another time under, under uh, a church doctrine. But the difference in the kingdom is that it is entered by salvation alone. Salvation. It's universal. It's invisible. It's entered by salvation. It has one ruler, and that's King Jesus. There's the differences between, between the kingdom and the church. We've looked at this before. When you understand the differences between the kingdom and the church, you'll understand the differences in the parables and what Jesus is, is teaching in the parables. We're not in the parables right now, but so often I've, I've, I've read after so many people, and they do this, they'll go to the parables, and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and the, the commentator or the person writing the book will immediately say the kingdom of heaven, and then they'll go the church. No, they're two different things. You can't confuse those. And then you come up with crazy, uh, crazy interpretation of what the, what, the, what the parables are saying. So it's, it's very important that we get those uh, correct. And notice this, the kingdom of God is right now. Look back in Matthew chapter 4 real quickly, would you? Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, and the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadows of death, light has sprung up. Now look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Look at this. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. It's right now. See, John, John is in prison at this time. John's mission is complete. He's done. He has ushered in the Messiah. He has prepared the way for the Messiah. He had the authority to baptize, and he was he was uh, baptizing those that came in repentance. And but now Jesus' ministry is in full swing, and he, John preached the one who was coming, and Jesus is now preaching the kingdom is now at hand. It is here, and so if this is God's kingdom, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you then the kingdom of God is what? Within you, just as Jesus said. So it's right now. It's right now. But I want to show you something else about kingdoms. Earthly kingdoms have structure, don't they? You have a king and a queen. You have prince and princesses. You have lords and ladies. You have dukes and dukesses. Duchesses. You have military and its structure. You have senators, if you're a Roman, a Roman government, you have senators and governors and things like that. And then at the bottom of the list, you got the plebes, you got the plebeians, you got the common people there at the bottom. It is a structure within every kingdom, okay? And the, mo the, the most important is at the top, and the least important is at the bottom. Now, listen, this is, don't miss this. We're going we're gonna to look at this here in a little bit later. But within any earthly kingdom, within any earthly kingdom structure, the, the, the most important people are at the top and the least important people are at the bottom. And can I say something? Let me just clear a little spot here and say something. That in many ways, there's nothing wrong with this structure. There's nothing wrong with having important people at the top and less important people at the bottom. Could you imagine a Fortune 500 company being run by a guy in the mailroom who can't even get the mail to the right office? And somebody could come along and say, I, I, well, I think, I think, you know, I, I think Cliff should go ahead and, and be, be president. And Cliff's like, well, where, where's this envelope go? Right? No, listen, there's nothing wrong with structure. There's nothing wrong with that. Stop thinking, hey, stop thinking that everybody has to be equal, right? We're not. We're not equal, friend. Uh, listen, we, uh, 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 we have equal opportunity, absolutely, but we are not evil, equal. I will, listen, I will never be able to operate at the level of some of the business owners that I know and I am acquainted with, ever. And I'm fine with that because the more they make, the more I make. So that's good, right? That evil trickle down. I'm, I'm sorry, friend. It, that's what does. It trickles down. Yeah. Don't buy into this communist tripe that, that, that's being pushed on our nation, that everybody needs to be the same and everybody needs to be equal and there's no difference. It's just not reality. 
Listen, we all have different brain power. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different abilities. And listen, we are all valuable in the kingdom of God. Don't miss that. Right? But listen, we're different. And within a kingdom, within earthly kingdoms, there's a structure. There's a structure. And, uh, and, and they have that. You have the important at the top, and it kind of goes downhill from there. But did you know the kingdom of God has a structure too? It does. Look at verse 1. The disciples have a question. Here they came to Jesus. Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Hmm. Structure. Did you notice something else there? That verse is in present tense. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And what are they asking? Present tense. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? They didn't have a question whether it was coming in the future. They knew it was right then, right? And so here in verse 2, Jesus now is going to illustrate the answer. So look what he says in verse 2. Jesus called a little child unto him. Now I looked up that word little child and I was surprised at what it meant. It meant a little child. There was no clarity whatsoever. Here, here it's, I mean, it could be a little boy. It could be a little girl, right? It could be a, 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 a little child, obviously older than, than a newborn, but uh, there, there could be a vast range. When the, hey, when the, when the wise men came, uh, or the, yeah, the wise men came to find Jesus, remember, he was in that house, and they called him, where is the young child? Well, we know, we surmise from, from a little bit of deductive, this there in the, that, that Jesus could have been around two years of age at that time. So hey, there, there's a little age, you know, we can put a little age stamp on that about what a little child is. Here's what I do understand about the little child. Jesus called, uh, he said he called a little child unto him. So the child could understand language. Now maybe he did this and maybe they were like, uh, you know, and somebody pushed him. He's like, uh, and they kind of grabbed, you know, I don't know. The wedding yesterday, the little kids that were the flower girl and the ring bearer, aren't they? They're the best part of the wedding, I think, sometimes. And so Brother Abel's looked over him. He said, all right, dude, let's do this. Where's in the little guy goes? I mean, he had the thing open. It was already, it was awesome. Yeah. He was old enough to understand. Okay, here, here we go. Jesus calls this little child over him, able to at least understand, be old enough, I guess, I, I would assume to understand uh, language and to, be, to come when he is called. And he brings them into, look at what it says, and he sets them in the midst of them. Who's that? Him and his disciples. Puts them right in the middle so they can all see him. Right? And uh, look what he says. Verse 3. And said, Verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted. Ye. Who is ye referring to? Well, the disciples. Except ye be converted. That word converted means to, to turn or to turn around. It, it has a lot of similarities. With what Some would say repentance, but repentance is a, a, a change of mind that should bring about change of actions. But conversion, converted, means to turn or to turn around. Look at this. Except ye be converted and look and become as little children. So this is the turning 
from one way of operating in life to turning to operate a different way of life. It, this is something watch, that somebody does on their own. Did you notice that? Except ye be converted and become, become. This is not something they are because they're adults here. Become as a little child. Right. What, are the, what is he saying? It's your own volition. Don't miss this. It's something that you choose to do. It's something that you determine to do. And look at this, become as little children. Now, we have a generation in our nation today that are adults, but they are children. It's not what Jesus is saying. Be like, great, we'll go to our basement and play video games for the rest of our life. Yay! That's not, that's not what he's saying, right? Paul said, when I was a child, I, I spake as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Hey, there's an age when you got to put the video games down and start to be an adult and get a job and act like an adult and to go out and work. And it's a wonderful thing. And uh, maybe it needs to be yelled from housetops a little more. But he didn't, he's not telling them to be children. He said, except as you become as little children. What is that word as? Well, you know what it is. It's a simile. It's a comparison. Right? He said, unless you be converted and become as a little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, first he starts off by talking about salvation, the kingdom of heaven. Can I tell you this? You'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven with a grown-up thought process. What, 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 what comes with adulthood sometimes? Knowledge, worldly wisdom, strength, ability. Right? It's, and these are all good things. They're not bad, right? It's a good thing to have a brain and to use what you have, right? That's, I mean, it's one thing to have it. It's another thing to use it, right? That's great, right? It's a good thing to have so, some wisdom, the Bible says, unfortunately, sometimes the, the children of the world are, are wisher than the children of light. Yeah. It's a good thing to have, have some, some wisdom, to have some road walking sense, to have some ability to look out over, the, over uh, you know, society and know how to operate. Right? It's a good thing to have strength. Yeah. I tell you what, if, if, uh, if uh, in society today we had, to, we had to get somewhere based on brute strength, we'd be in trouble. I mean, never mind. I better stop. Strength. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. We had a bunch of boys we kept one year at a baseball tournament, and they were asking for volunteers to keep them at the house, at their house. And uh, we volunteered. We had all the four kids were at home. And, and so we took, what, four or five boys, I think it was, something like that. And so they came over. I think it was just a night or two. They had a tournament, a couple nights maybe. And, of course, it was just a lot of fun, and all these, you know, boys are hilarious. And they're all about 14, 15 years old. And so you know what happens, right, Brother Allen? Arm wrestling. I mean, it has to happen. Arm wrestling. I don't think, I don't know if guys do that anymore. I don't know if that's, they care if they're strong or not. But they, they did back then, and they're arm wrestling, and, and they're all arm wrestling. And our middle daughter, Kendra, is sitting there on the couch. She's 12, right, about that big around. I said, Kendra, arm wrestle them. And so she got up, she whipped every one of them. It was the funniest, because I knew she would. She is strong. Oh, she's strong. And uh, she, those boys sulked all night, sat on the couch and just pouted. And they couldn't believe it. I, I tell you what, I bet they went home and lifted some weights and uh, got a little bigger. I, I beat my nephew arm wrestling a few years back, and he's a big boy. And uh, he, I just put him down, you know. And uh, 
few uh, about a several months later his dad mom my sister and her husband were down visiting i said hey where's ben at and they oh he couldn't come and this and that and we were talking i said hey did he tell you i beat him arm wrestling and his dad goes no i mean ben's a big kid i you know and uh, he goes that's why he started lifting weights <laughs> he goes he got big i'm like yeah i'm done with him now i got my bluff in i'm not i'm not dumb you know <laughs> and uh, and uh, no it's, it's strength right it's a part of adulthood ability and the and the know how how to do things watch this the physical strength and the mil- mental ability to make things work out on your own with the help of somebody else this is what it is to come into adulthood okay Can I tell you this? You will never make it into heaven by utilizing your adult abilities. You will never make it into heaven. You will never enter into the kingdom of God with your abilities. You know how you enter the kingdom of God? When you actually forsake your abilities and humble yourself before God, kind of like a child. So not only does Jesus clarify how you get into the kingdom of God, he's going to go on here and clarify how one enters the kingdom of, of, of heaven, but he, um, not entering the kingdom of heaven, but he's going to reveal here the, the structure of the kingdom of heaven. Now look at this, would you? Verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever. So, okay, you're, you're saved here tonight. How many of you are saved? Say amen. amen. All right. You're in the kingdom of heaven tonight. All right. Amen. That's great. So he's talking to you. He's talking to me. Whosoever. That's anybody here. Whosoever within the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever. It's open to anyone within the kingdom. Whosoever therefore shall humble Himself. It's an act, a personal act of volition. It's called your free will. What does it mean? Some in the kingdom of heaven, right, don't choose this. And some do. Whosoever shall humble himself as this child. Do you know in so many ways, I'm not saying a child doesn't have... It doesn't have a will and doesn't have a temper and doesn't have these things. But in so many ways, a child is naturally humble. Yeah. Why? They don't know anything. Now, when they hit 12, they think they know everything. But before that, they don't, I mean, three, four, five years old, they don't know anything. Right? They're still afraid of everything. Our son-in-law loves to scare the kids. Stand behind a door and scare them. Just scares the fire out of them you know it's just and then they'll video it they're just cruel but the greatest video i saw was when violet scared the fire out of him he came out of big you know surges you know six foot two four i mean he's just a big guy you know and he comes out and and she's just and he's like he screamed like a girl i'm just ah, you know it was awesome it was awesome the kids are just naturally afraid of everything they're afraid. They still depend on others for help. I can't reach the crackers. I can't get this. Can I have the, uh, can I, right, I think kids used to do, I think they still do this, ask before they just go take stuff. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. I'm, I'm just so behind. Right. Can, I, can I have some to drink? Can I have, can you get the, I mean, what, what, what am I saying? They're naturally helpful. They can't do for themselves. 
So Jesus is telling his disciples, when you voluntarily humble yourself to the place of a child's humility, watch, when you voluntarily put yourself at a place of dependence, in a place of weakness, in a place of dependence, watch, then you'll be the greatest in my kingdom. Flop. Totally flipped it upside down, didn't he? Totally the opposite of the, uh, of the world's kingdom. Do you know who God believes are the greatest in his kingdom? The ones who lower themselves to a place of weakness. The ones who lower themselves to a place of inability. The ones who, who understand that they lack wisdom. The ones who understand and agree that no matter how much intelligence they have, that they still lack knowledge. Jesus said that the greatest in my kingdom are those who lower themselves to a place of complete dependence upon God. Jesus said, that's who's at the top. Wow. Which means the least in the kingdom, the least in the kingdom of God are those who operate in their own strength and rest in their own ability and operate in their own wisdom and labor in their own knowledge. Jesus says, you're a plebe. You're at the bottom. You're at the bottom. You're not at the top. I mean, we know this, right? It has always been the humble that God has exalted. Can I give you some examples of this tonight? You don't have to turn to these, but I've got a list of them. I don't know, there's like 35 here. We'll have time. Not really. I'm just kidding. You know, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, humility comes before healing. He said, if my people would which are called by my name, will humble themselves, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. You see this humility first, humility, prayer, turning, seeking, then what? Hearing, forgiving, and healing. Humility comes before healing. Humility comes before mercy. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 26 through 28. Josiah was a king now. He's been doing some great things already. At 16, he began to seek the Lord, and he begins to clean out the temple and do these wonderful things. But in the cleaning out of the temple, they brought to him the law, and uh, they begin to, read the, begin to read the law. And as he read it, of course, Josiah believed the law, and he realized that there was judgment appointed by God that had yet fallen on Israel. And he, he, he thought, oh, no, we are in trouble. And so what he did... He he humbled himself. He, he, he ripped his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes. And, and God preserved his kingdom. And he says, because, because you were humble, because you humbled yourself, the wrath, the judgment that's coming, it'll come on those after you, but not on your kingdom. Humility comes before mercy. God had mercy. Mercy. You see, humility comes before restoration. Uh, Hezekiah is king. Remember, he asked for another 15 years, and God gave him another 15 years. In that 15 years, a son, Manasseh, was born. It's not always good. You know, listen, sometimes, sometimes uh, it's not the greatest thing to, to get what you think you, you really want, right? Manasseh was not a good king for a while. 
He was born in that 15-year period that was extended, that has extended Hezekiah's life. And, and in his kingdom, he refused, to, he refused to listen to God. So God sent the Assyrians, and they captured Manasseh. They brought him back to Babylon. But this is incredible. While Manasseh was in Babylon, he humbled himself and repented. I love this. Verses 12 and 13 of 2 Chronicles 33, the Bible says, And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him. And he heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Yeah. You know, now, you know how that restoration came? Humility. He humbled himself. Humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29, 32. The Bible said a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Humility comes before closeness with God. In Isaiah 57, 15, the Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that abideth, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God dwells in the high. He's a high and lofty one, and he dwells and he inhabits eternity. Yeah. And he said to those that know humility, you're close to me where I dwell. Humility comes before closeness. Humility comes before destruction. Jeremiah thirteen eighteen say unto the king and unto the queen, humble yourselves, sit down. I like that. <laughs> Humble yourselves, sit down, for your principalities shall come down, even the crown of your glory. Boy, you better, you better be careful. Humility comes before destruction. Humility comes before grace. James chapter 4 and verse 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humility comes before exaltation. First Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore uh, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humility. Finally, humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves is the most Christ-like thing we can do. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, And being found in a fashion of man, well, that was humiliating. That was humbling, right? God put on flesh yeah, and humbled himself. Look at the mark of, of humility and became obedient unto death. Friend, you can't get more obedient than that. I mean, that's it. Even the death of the cross. No, he just didn't become obedient just to die at some point as a human. He became obedient to the place of being put on a Roman crucifixion, of being stripped naked and hung out before everybody and strung up and whipped and beat. And I mean, listen, we, you, you know the scene. The humility went to that place of obedience. Isn't it amazing what we fuss at? It's amazing to me when we write messages. Brother Davidson, I've asked you before, you know, I said, you ever write a message and you get through it and you go, Whoa. 
Woe is me. And I was thinking of this. Humility. He humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. It was an act of his will. Not my will, but thine be done. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I dropped Sherry off at Walgreens yesterday to get something, a card. And I'm sitting in the parking lot there, waiting. And a few parking spots down was a motorcycle, and the guy was off of it, and he was just sitting there waiting, and the gal sitting there waiting. Just really felt impressed to get out of the car and go just give him a tract. And I didn't. Oh, preacher, what on earth? And I write this message, and I thought, wow, what a lack of humility. What an awful, awful lack of humility. Listen, please. You will never be great in the kingdom of God when you are least like the king. You will never be great in the kingdom of God when you are least like the king. Hey, hold on a minute. You're like, well, it's just not, I'm just not in competition. Don't you think the Lord wants us to be great in the kingdom? Right? Didn't he promise us to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, can, can you put this together, right? If he wants us to be like Christ, and Christ is humility, and, and we live a life of humility, and the, a life of humility makes us great in the kingdom, I think he would want us to be great in the kingdom. I think he would want everybody in the kingdom to be great, to be like him. See, a child comes by humility naturally, but it takes free will decisions and, and, uh, and uh, determination to humble yourself voluntarily. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. They're going to carry on what he started. We're still doing it today. That's, this is what we do. We're about our Father's business. And we're just carrying on what Jesus started. Jesus did his work in perfect, perfect humility. Perfect humility. And these disciples are going to have to do their work in perfect humility as well. And so do we, right? Humility. Let me give you one more thing, and we'll be done. Mountains? What does humility have to do with mountains? Right? He's preparing them. Amen? It's probably going to take some humility to accept the mountains that God brings into your life. You reckon? You, would you like some evidence? I'll give you some. Deuteronomy 8, 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee. The mountains in the wilderness, all, all that they went through in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments 
or no? See, when the mountains come in our life, if we don't respond with humility, we're going to miss the miracle as well. The humble are the greatest in the kingdom. Is your life marked by humility? No, is there an aura of humility about your life? Is there a heart of humility about your life? Is there, is there, is there something, just this over, overarching aspect of your life that just says humility? Humility. You know, it's something you've got to do. It's something I've got to do. It doesn't, God doesn't just make us humble. Oh, no, he can, he can work in our life to bring us to a place of humility, but sometimes we don't, that doesn't work. I mean, sometimes we don't respond to it, right? Are you humble? Are, are we people of humility? Somebody said this one time, you'll know how much of a servant you are by how you respond when you're treated like one. Mm. Humility. What is an evidence of humility? Well, what's your attitude towards the preached word? What is your attitude towards obedience to the word? What is your attitude towards others? Right? Is that, is that the opposite of the world that we're living in today? What's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. No, I think, I, think, I think we were told to esteem others better than ourselves. Yeah. But, 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 but what do we find ourselves doing? Oh, get ahead of this one. Get ahead of that one. You know, get more than this one and take all of this and make sure you get it before somebody else gets this. And that is, listen, friend, that is not a life of humility. No, actually, that, that's, that's just the, 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 the furthest thing from our Heavenly Father. It is the furthest thing from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Attitude towards authority in your life. Well, there's a, there's a marker. When the boss comes in the morning and says, yeah. Humility. The greatest in the kingdom is the king. And you'll never be great in the kingdom when you're living the least like him. May God help us to be people of humility. People of humility. Father, as we close this here, we've seen it clearly. This is an act of volition. This is something we choose to do. We, we choose to be, holy, to be, to be humble. And your word has gone out, and I just pray that, God, you would help us to be people of humility. Your Holy Spirit of God right now is, is working in the hearts of your people here. And some, some just may bow, uh, just, uh, just bow, bow back and, and stiffen the neck and, and just not respond to you. That's not humility. Lord, I think we should all, everybody... In, in this church, every child of God, when the word of God is preached, we should all have a heart of humility that when you speak, we say, yes, I agree, yes. Bow a heart and bow a head. And 
find a position to acknowledge that you are God. You are the king, the king of our life. God, would you help us? In a world that wants nothing to do with humility, would you help us to be a people of humility? Well, thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The piano's going to play. Let's stand if you would. You can pray right where you are. However the Lord has spoken to you tonight. Are we people of humility? Is your life marked by humility? Do you still depend upon the Lord? Or do you got it all figured out? The mark of a life of humility, remember Philippians 2.8, is, is, is that word obedience. Obedience. I'm shocked anymore how many just decide when they come to church and when they don't. I'm shocked how many decide, you know, all, all I mean, what they're, whether they're going to do this or whether they're going to do that. I'm shocked in my own life what I determine what I'm going to do and not going to do. Hmm. God, help us to be a people of humility. Just simple, simple childlike trust and obedience. You're going to have to humble yourself to come into the kingdom of God. There may be some watching. There may be some here. I don't know. You're lost and without Christ. We, we run into them all the time out on the streets. Run into them all the time. They've got life figured out. They're fine. Yeah. And they're not. They need to humble themselves. If you're here tonight and you're lost without Christ, can I remind you tonight you're on your way to hell? And if you're here to die tonight, you'll spend the rest of your eternal existence in hell. You, may, you might be watching online. Listen, I'm telling you tonight. You need to humble yourself before God tonight. You need to humble tonight. And come to Him. God help us to be people of humility. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. Hmm. All right. We're going to be dismissing the word of prayer. Pray you all have a great week. Be in prayer for the building progress over there. I was up early this morning and all of a sudden I started thinking about all the stuff. I'm like, oh. And I thought, yeah, just need to pray.